Well, I want to invite a friend to come up now and introduce our next speaker. Christian Andresen uh, is the founder and dean of the European Bible Training Center based in Berlin, but with many satellites, uh, not only in Germany, but also uh, in Switzerland. And uh, Christian heads up our region. We have uh, eight schools in Europe, and annually he coordinates their summit where they come together for strategic uh, coordination of key degree programs uh, and expansion uh, there on the continent. Uh, through EBTC, uh, a number of degrees are offered, including biblical counseling, uh, which uh, many of our schools are beginning to uh, offer as well. And that's an area that is of great interest uh, to Christian. But Christian, I'd like you to come now and introduce our next speaker, which will highlight another national uh, written work. Thank you, brother. Well, I have the privilege of, privilege of introducing Benedict Peters, a brother in the Lord, but also our co-worker, he's teaching in Switzerland and he's a vital part of the ministry in Switzerland and he is a known in our area for sure as a scholar and a, uh, an author of many good books and commentaries and I'm very looking forward to what he has to say this morning or this afternoon I should say uh, about his subject. Benedict, you're welcome. Yes, thank you so much for this um, introduction and thank you for having me here at all to speak to you on this uh, subject. Now, there has been a little bit of a confusion as to what I was going to say or to do uh, during this uh, conference and uh, somewhere uh, this uh, title of what I was supposed to present got stuck in the pipeline, so I did read it for the first time yesterday on that written program. <laughs> but I knew uh, it was supposed to be about inerrancy, and um, it, was, uh, it is uh, Andreas uh, uh, um, Christian's fault that I am here, because he said, you speak, because you have written a book on the topic. Um, and it's true, I've written a book on uh, the authority um, and um, uh, reliability, of the Bible. So um, I have taken a, a more general theme and I want to begin by first reading uh, Psalm 12 verse 6 and then I'm going to announce the title of my paper, Psalm 12 verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. So I'm going to speak on God's written revelation is necessarily an inerrant revelation. And I'm going to try to give you biblically uh, presented reasons why we can conclude that the revelation which God has given us, the Bible, is truly inerrant. Uh, when Paul, for the first time, was preaching in the synagogue of uh, Thessalonica, then he reasoned with the Jews and he proved and explained and gave evidence 
from the scriptures that this Jesus, whom I proclaim, is truly the Christ. Of course, he believed without those reasons, but he had good reasons he could present and proofs and evidences. And thus, it is important for us that we who believe in inerrancy, that we for ourselves, to ourselves, become firmly established in our conviction that we ourselves can give ourselves good reasons why we believe in inerrancy, but also that we are able to give to Christians who are wavering, who are believers, but who have been influenced differently and start thinking the way we heard one argument, well, in so, for so many hundred years, the term inerrancy has never been used, so we can live without that term, and not only without that term, but also without uh, claiming and insisting upon inerrancy. But that's all wrong. It's really wrong, but we uh, need to give reasons why it is wrong to distrust the Bible and to claim that the Bible can or even does contain errors. So God's written revelation is necessarily an inerrant revelation. I'm going to take you through five steps and sixthly, then I come to my conclusion. And the steps are these. First, we can only know God by revelation. Secondly, God's general revelation is insufficient. Thirdly, we need God's special revelation. Fourthly, we need an objective revelation. Fifthly, we need a written revelation. And then the conclusion is, sixthly, cogent consequences of the gift of a written revelation. So, first, we can only know God by revelation. Man cannot know God except God reveal himself. And why is that? As the ancients used to say, finitum non carpax infiniti. Finite man cannot grasp the infinite God. Man is a mere creature, and the creature cannot grasp the infinite creator. So man can only know as much of God as God shows to man, as much as God reveals of himself to man. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. And why is it evident? And how did it come, become evident to them? For God made it evident. Had God not made it evident, nothing would have been evident to man. So man is dependent upon God manifesting himself to man. Otherwise, he can know nothing of him. God is the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. He is not visible, while here, visible stands for all kinds of sensual perception. Man cannot smell God, he cannot uh, touch God, he cannot taste God, he cannot hear God, he cannot see God. John teaches no man has seen God at any time. John 1, 18, 
And the Lord Jesus himself, he said to the Jews in his day, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, John 5, 37. And God has said by the mouth of Moses, let's turn to Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, and a more literal translation would be the hidden things, hanistarot. In Hebrew, the hidden things, from the, verb, from the verb satar, to hide. The hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. So here again we have things hidden, hidden by God, things revealed. And in a prayer of the Lord Jesus to his Father, he said, John, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them unto infants. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. So here again, we have things hidden and things revealed. And uh, even uh, David speaks of this very same fact. Psalm 18, verse 11. Psalm 18, verse 11. He, that is God, he made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him, Darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. Darkness, thick, uh, thick clouds. But on the other hand, we read in the New Testament, and that seems almost a contradiction, 1 Timothy 6.16, where Paul says that God, he dwells in a light to which no man can enter approach, in an in a unapproachable light. Now, God, he is in that light. But for us, for sinful man, God is shrouded in darkness. He cannot know God, except God reveal himself. And God, he wanted it to be that way. Yes, he wanted it to be that way. Uh, Solomon, he says that in his prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 12. 1 Kings 8, verse 12. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. In other words, the Lord has said, I want to dwell in thick darkness. God has chosen to dwell in darkness. For us, he is in darkness. He is in light, but for us, he is in darkness. Why is that? because he wants to make us understand and to feel that we are absolutely dependent upon him to know him. If he does not show himself to us, if he does not choose to reveal himself to us, we can know nothing of him. 
Now, he has chosen to, re to reveal himself to all men through creation. So we come now to my second point. God's general revelation is insufficient. God has chosen to reveal himself to all men and thus to show some things about himself and about man through creation, through the works of creation, through his works of providence, and through the voice of conscience. But those means are insufficient to know God sufficiently. In the works of creation, man can only read God's power and God's divinity, and since it is God's eternal power, also God's eternity. So we can read that God is God, God is eternal, and God has power. That's what he can read from creation. Providence can give man insight into God's wisdom, God's power, and also into God's goodness. In his providence, in his goodness, he does good to all men. He makes the sun rise every morning, and he gives rain and fruitful season, and gives even joy into the hearts of men who never thank him for it. That is in his providence, so they can see something, even of his goodness. And God speaks through man's conscience that he is, and that he is just, and that he is a judge. But now, how all things came into being, and what the particular essence of man is, and what his place in the universe is, and to what end God created man, of that man can know nothing by so-called general revelation. And even less can he know by general revelation how God is in his innermost being. He can know nothing of God's grace and of God's purpose of salvation. Now I'm going to, qu uh, to quote uh, uh, some German uh, theologians. Uh, several of them were conservative theologians, and uh, soon I'm going to quote another famous German theologian. No, he was Swiss, but German-speaking, uh, who was not uh, uh, a conservative theologian. So the German theologian Heinrich Heppe, he lived in the 19th century. He writes in his Dogmatik der evangelisch reformierten Kirche. That is a systematic theology. <laughs> well, I think some of you would understand, well, dogmatic, that's dogmatics, and evangelisch is evangelic, and Kirche is church, and reformiert is reform, so you would understand it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so he writes... Um, concerning God's general revelation, man who in his conscience has been convicted of his sinfulness understands through it that God punishes evil. But what God, what God according to his grace, has purpose for sinful man, of that he can know nothing of himself. Thus, religio naturalis is not Salutaris. Natural religion is not salvific, does not bring salvation. It can only prove that man is without excuse. 
So we need more than just this general revelation. And we are dependent upon God that he gave us such revelation. We cannot force God. We would even not have thought of it that we need such a revelation had God not, out of his grace, decreed to reveal himself in a much more, in a much clearer way by giving us the so-called special revelation, and that is his written word. John Owen, he writes in his biblical theology, as the sinful minds of fallen men are replete with darkness and blindness, natural revelation cannot show even the bare outline of each doctrine that is essential to salvation. Natural revelation cannot show even the bare outline of each doctrine that is essential to salvation. And now I quote another German conservative theologian, the Lutheran Franz Pieper. Uh, he lived in the 19th and 20th centuries, uh, and most part of his life he spent uh, in the United States, but he wrote in German. And uh, there is an excellent uh, systematic theology by Franz Pieper. And he writes, uh, quote, Whatever man without the revelation of the Holy Scriptures can know about God leaves him under the wrath and curse of God, of the gospel of Christ, which promises man forgiveness of his sins because of Christ's satisfactio vicaria, that is his vicarious satisfaction, because of Christ's satisfactio vicaria, no thought has ever entered into man's mind. So the witness of creation, the witness of conscience, the innate knowledge of man that there is a divine being are not sufficient. And that is why Paul, preaching to the uh, Greeks in Athens, he called those times in which the Greeks could know God only by his general revelation, he called those times the times of Ignorance, times of ignorance, Acts 17, verse 30. And only the scriptures can dispel that ignorance. And now I'm using a term, dispel. I have borrowed it from uh, Calvin, from his institutes. He writes, thus the scriptures dispel the darkness in order to clearly show us the true God. This is a singular gift of God. To instruct his church, he uses not only dumb teachers, namely his works, but he himself opens his holy mouth in Scripture. And thus the German Reformed theologian Eduard Böhl, he lived in the 19th century, he was professor of dogmatics at Vienna. He writes, the development of all Gentile peoples has proven that they were not able to comprehend the image of God as revealed in creation. So the image of God as revealed in creation. All the Gentile peoples could not uh, uh, comprehend uh, what that uh, all contained. 
And I will continue the quote. Therefore, it pleased God to throw that image into the soul by the burning glass of written revelation. That's very nicely put, isn't it? It pleased God to throw that image into the soul by the burning glass of written revelation. The burning glass gathers all the beams of the light together and focuses this light on one point, and then everything becomes very clear or focused, as we say. And that happens through, as it pleased God, it happens through the written revelation. So in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and the New Testament, God has unveiled to man through truths which no man knew. Indeed, which he never could have conceived. Things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered into the heart of man. 1 Corinthians 2.9. So we can only thank God for giving us such a revelation. He was not constrained to do it. We had not deserved it. We could not claim any right that God instructed us, but he has done it out of his own free, gracious will. And we can only worship him for it. And I'm going to quote, to quote um, uh, one of the Puritans, Thomas Watson, and he has written a wonderful book of theology, and you should get hold of that book. Uh, it's titled A Body of Divinity. It is really wonderful. And also his, uh, his language, it just rejoices the heart, the truth, how he puts it in such a wonderful language. I'll give you an example now. The scripture appears to be the word of God by the matter contained in it. The mystery of Scripture is so abstruse and so profound that no man or angel could have known it had it not been divinely revealed. That eternity should be born, that he who thunders in the heavens should cry in the cradle, that he who rules the stars should suck the breasts, that the prince of life should die, that the lord of glory should be put to shame, that sin should be punished to the full, yet pardoned to the full. Who could ever have conceived of such a mystery? And that is all revealed in the Bible, and we thank God for it. Now we need, and that's my fourth point, we need an objective revelation. And why is that? We are all children of the Enlightenment. And that is felt even more keenly, probably, in Europe than uh, here in the United States. We are all children of the Enlightenment, which again was a child of humanism. Um, humanism, beginning in the 15th century, put again man into the center of the world. And that is the essence of humanism. Humanism put man again into the center of the world, and thus it began... And thus, the world, uh, uh, world uh, view of pre-Christian Greek and Roman culture began to push back the Christian view according to which God is in the center and man is his servant. And if man is in the center, then man explains everything and everything comes out of man. Man is autonomous. He is 
He, he is to himself a law. Autos, he himself, nomos, law, autonomous. So today, now this thinking, of course, it's only slowly, slowly could it push back the Christian way of thinking. But by the 19th century, it had completely taken over in the sciences and also in theology. So today, if you, ask, you would ask uh, uh, any uh, reformed um, pastor of the uh, Swiss Reformed State Church, what rev revelation is. He would say revelation, that is a personal experience with the divine. If you have a personal experience with something which you, you sense and feel it is beyond you, that is revelation. But that kind of revelation, and they also say, that, and that's the kind of revelation the writers of the Bible had. They had experiences, and they put that into words. That kind of revelation is worthless. It cannot teach us, it cannot show anyone who God is and who we are. So we are in need, not of subjective experiences, something that we uh, sense and feel and uh, uh, that is subjective, only individual, but what we need is an objective truth which is outside of us and which is the same for all, binding for all. And we claim that this is exactly what God has given us with the Bible and for that we have reason to thank him. Why? Because without an objective revelation of the truth, man is left with himself. And if we do not hear the voice of God coming to us from outside, from the Bible, then the only voice we hear and have to follow is our own voice. And as the old adage goes, he who has himself for a teacher has a fool for a teacher. <laughs> it's true. It is perfectly true. I agree with Chris. He said, I am stupid. In the things of God, I am stupid. I am a fool. I know nothing. So we are completely dependent upon this book. And if this book be not true, then woe unto us. Then we have nobody and nothing. Then we have only ourselves. And then God does no more speak. And when God no more speaks then there is really silence. And that is the, wor the worst thing that can happen to us, God's silence. I want to uh, read one verse with you which shows how a fearful thing that is when God is silent. Psalm 28, verse 1. Psalm 28, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, do not be deaf to me. For if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. And that would be the end of all of us if we did not hear the voice of God. And here we hear his voice. And that is life. So we need an objective revelation. And that is the reason, and now this is my fifth point, that is the reason why we have a written revelation. 
because we need an objective revelation. That is why we need a written of, uh, uh, revelation. God has revealed himself to us who sit in the darkness, in the night and darkness of sin by giving us the revelation of his being, of his attributes, of man, of his need, of his salvation, of his works, of his saving purposes. He has revealed all this to us in writing. We have seen that we are dependent upon knowledge giving us from outside, from above. In the Bible, God himself tells us who he is, what he has purposed, what he has, what he has purposed for man. God has spoken, God has acted in history to redeem man. Redemption was purposed and effective, effected outside of us. Extra nos. That's the term the reformers use in Latin, extranos, outside of us. All of salvation from God, through God, all out of him, nothing out of us. And thus, the revelation also must be something which is and comes outside, from outside to us. Since the giving of the revelation is part of God's redeeming acts. It belongs to God's redeeming acts, and all God's redeeming, redeeming acts, all happened, were done, were worked outside of us, coming from the outside to us, again to show us that we are completely dependent upon God. So that's why God gave it to us in writing, because only a written Revelation can secure objectivity. If we had no written revelation, then sooner or later, every one of us would start to speak about things God has showed me tonight. And then you come and say, but I had a dream. And then another one comes and says, I had an impression. And then again, we are thrown back upon ourselves, our subjectivity, our own individual uh, feelings and experiences. But since God has given, giving, given us his revelation in a book, we are constrained to seek and to receive the light from outside. An objective truth coming to us from the outside. Now, the Lord Jesus, he had once to remind his disciples of that very basic truth. The light is not in man. The light is not in us. The light is outside of us. And even nature preaches this truth. Uh, that's, that's in John 11, 9 and 10. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So every day, God, he's preaching that basic truth which holds true in God's natural work, but even much more in the spiritual realm. So every day, we must wait till the sun rises, and then we see the world where we move and can go our way seeingly, with seeing eyes. And much more, this is the case for our spiritual path. 
we need the word as the light which comes from outside and throws light upon the path which we have to go. Psalm 119, verse 105. And now again I quote Thomas Watson. What a mercy is it that God has not only acquainted us what, he will, what his will is, but that he has made it known by writing. The devil is God's ape, and he can transform himself into an angel of light. He can deceive with false revelations. Therefore, we are to be thankful to God for revealing his mind to us by writing. We are not left in doubtful suspense that we should not know what to believe, but we have an infallible rule to go by. The scripture is our pole star to direct us to heaven. The pole star, light from above, from outside of us to direct us. And now I come to my sixth point. Uh, some seven or eight minutes still to go. Cogent consequences of the gift of a written revelation. When God revealed himself to man in writing, he did it with a purpose. Man should come to know him in order to live unto him. That was God's purpose. And God, who is perfect in wisdom and in power, he chose the best means to achieve that end. And therefore, we can safely conclude that a written revelation is the best means to lead man to a true knowledge of God. There can be no better means, since God chose this means. And from this, it follows cogently that the Bible, the written word of God, is effective. It produces the purpose which God has set. It fulfills the purpose which God has set. The written word of God is effective. Being effective, it is clear. Being clear, it is inerrant. And being effective, clear, and inerrant, it is sufficient. And all these um, um, qualities, they are bound together. You cannot take any one of those four without the whole thing crumbling and um, crashing. Since God has given a written revelation as the best means to achieve his predestined end, it necessarily follows that the scriptures are effective. Of necessity. They are effective. And the Bible itself says it. God says, my word shall fulfill the purpose for which I sent it, Isaiah 55, 11. In order to be effective, they must be clear. Otherwise, we would not understand his will. So, effective, and that means they must be clear, and likewise, in order to be effective, they must be inerrant. If the Bible contained errors, the Bible could not achieve its purpose to lead us to the knowledge of the one true God who is the truth. How could a defective um, revelation lead to the knowledge, perfect knowledge of the one and true God? So it cannot contain errors. So it must be inerrant, and only as the scriptures are effective, clear, and inerrant, they are sufficient. 
Now, if you take away either the clarity of the scriptures or the inerrancy of the scriptures, the scriptures are no more sufficient. So we, we defend them all, these qualities. And we know why, and we should know why, and we should be ex able to explain to our people why we believe that the Bible is such and has these qualities. Now, the scriptures are ineffective, and that is because we heard this verse today twice already, 2 Timothy 3.16, they are breathed by God. God's breath created the heavens and the heavenly host, Psalm 33. So, the uh, word of God has the power of God in it, the breath of God in it. It has the power to engender life, it has the power to dispel darkness and enlighten the mind and heart. It has the power to conquer unbelief and to excite faith. It has the power to separate from evil and to sanctify unto God. I have to leave out a few examples. Secondly, the scriptures are clear. God has surely not made himself known by a written word that we should in vain try to understand what he says. Isaiah 45, 19, I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. If God has re revealed himself, then in order that we do not seek him in vain, that we understand him and can trust him and obey him. Luther, he had to answer uh, Erasmus of Rotterdam, who wrote um, uh, on the, the free will, De libero arbitrio, and Luther, he, uh, he answered with his uh, De servo arbitrio, of the bondage of the will, and among others he wrote there, that several things in the Holy Scriptures should be confused and not clear is something that wicked sophists have cried out into the world. Because that is what... Uh, Erasmus claimed in his work. Scriptures are not clear. So we need the church to explain the scriptures for us. No. That is something wicked sophists have cried out into the world, but they have never been able to give a single biblical verse to prove their fancied delusion. By such jugglery, Satan has scared people away from the Bible in order to set up his abomination of philosophy in the church. No, if the scriptures were not clear, they would not achieve their God-given purpose. How does a man come to Christ and through Christ to God? John 6, 45, they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes unto me. And where do we hear and learn from the Father? Only through the scriptures. So they must be clear that people can hear, believe, and come. The scriptures are inerrant. Since the scriptures are God-breathed, they are like God himself, not only effective, but also holy. Therefore, they are called the holy scriptures. They are perfect as the one who breathed them is perfect, true, without error. Scriptura mentiri non potest, as Luther said. Scripture cannot lie. 
It is only as we trust the, the Bible, every word of the Bible, that the Bible become effective in our lives. If we do not trust fully in the scriptures, the whole Bible, in all its parts and every word, then the Bible, do, the Bible does not perform its work in us. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God without ceasing that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Because they received it as the word of God, therefore it performed the work which it did in them. And therefore, as soon as we doubt the Bible, then everything, every power is taken out of the word. And now I'm going to quote, quote to you very briefly, I have to hurry now through to the end. It's a, uh, probably the most influential Protestant theologian of the 20th century, a reformed Protestant theologian. It was... Um, Karl Barth, Swiss theologian Karl Barth, 1886-1968. For him, as well as for all adherents of the so-called neo-orthodoxy, the Bible has divine quality, yes. It is, yes, it is said to be the result of divine revelations, but the scriptures are not identical with God's word. The authors were, according to Karl Barth, the authors inspired, not so their words. The matter which they taught was true, but the historical details and other factual material, not necessarily so. Barth, he writes in his Kirchliche Dogmatik, the men we hear speaking as witnesses speak as Fallible and erring men, as ourselves are. The prophets and apostles were fallible, even in, even in their office and in their function as witnesses. And while in the act of writing their witness, they were real, historical, and in their doing sinful, and in their written and spoken words, fallible, and in fact, erring men, as we all are. And that man had tremendous influence especially among those who still had uh, conservative Christian uh, views. And that took away the Bible from them. And no wonder that the churches in Switzerland are empty. Nobody wants to hear anyone preach things which he doesn't believe himself. The Reformed churches in Switzerland, empty, dead. Now, to speak of a revelation in this way is inconsistent wine. Let us first remind ourselves why we need a revelation. We need it because we are unable to know God sufficiently and reliably with our own abilities. And if I, in spite of my utter ignorance, if I begin to sift the words of the Bible in order to distinguish between things which are inspired and which are not, then I have made myself, myself, a judge of the Word of God. And then... I arrogate to myself the mental and critical powers to uh, 
sufficiently and inerrantly judge this book, then I have knowledge and I am uh, uh, the one who counts and not God and his word. Then I have the last word and not God has the last words. And that is a denial of God's nature. Since I imply that his revelation is incomplete, insufficient, and fallible. And that is as much as to say that God was either not able or not willing to secure for us a complete, a sufficient, and inerrant revelation. Either not able or not willing. If he was not able, we could no more trust him as the omnipotent God. If he was not willing, we could no more trust him as the true and holy and gracious God. So we see how inconsistent it is to say, yes, the Bible contains biblical truth, but it is not in, in, in uh, errant. It is absolutely inconsistent. Either you believe in God and in his revelation, or you don't. And it's also a denial of man's nature, because man is man and in darkness and helpless and death in his, dead in his sins and dependent upon God. The scriptures are sufficient, yes. And I close with a um, quote by Watson again, the last Thomas Watson. Scripture is compared to silver refined seven times, Psalms 12, 6. The book of God has no errata in it. It is a beam of the sun of righteousness, a crystal stream flowing from the fountain of life. All laws and edicts of men have had their corruptions. But the word of God has not the least tincture. It is of meridian splendor. Thy word is very pure. Psalm 119, 140. It is so pure that it purifies everything else. This sword of the spirit cuts down vice. Out of this tower of scripture is thrown down a millstone upon the head of sin. Where is such holiness to be found as is dug out? Of this sacred mine. Who could be the author of such a book but God Himself? Amen. Thank you. Benedict, thank you. That was a brilliant analysis, both historically and spiritually, of really our condition for the last 350 years, you just uh, corrected uh, the wayward direction of the church, beginning with the influence of the Enlightenment, which rejected the Reformation doctrines, leading, of course, then to German rationalism, leading then to skepticism and higher criticism, which then was embraced by mainline denominations, both in Europe and in North America, and that's what we've been exporting all these years. You just filled in a major gap for us, but you did much more. You also gave us a clear biblical presentation uh, affirming the authority of God himself. You know, it's interesting, as I was listening to you, what you shared with us, uh, you illustrated how we have a faulty anthropology when we reject inerrancy. How can sinful man sit in judgment on the word of God? Thank you. We are indebted to you.